listening to the Watkins Chapel Baptist Church Sermon Audio. We're so glad you've decided to listen to us, and we hope that this sermon will be an encouragement to you. I'm Pastor Billy, and last Sunday I unveiled the mission for Watkins Chapel Baptist Church, and I pray that as you listen to this, that you will be encouraged as well to follow Jesus in sharing the gospel in your community. If you have a Bible, let's turn really quick to Matthew chapter number 28. Matthew chapter number 28. Uh, We're going to use that as a jumping off point for what we're going to be discussing today in our mission and strategy. That's not on the slide, so you'll have to, uh, you'll have to actually turn there to look at it this time. Um, And if you did not receive a copy of the sermon notes, the booklet, um, if you, if you do not receive one of those, or if you need one of those, um, raise your hand for me and we'll bring and we'll have someone bring them around to you because I want you to be able to have this, uh, to look at, and you may be looking at it and you're like, this is absolutely humongous. And we're going to go through the whole thing this morning. But if, when you open it, you'll realize, oh, it's large print. And really there's like only one fill in the blank on a page at some, at some, at some points. So, uh, it's not as bad as it looks. It's not as bad as it looks. But I want to open this morning look, looking at Matthew chapter number 28, and we'll read verses 18 through 20. Jesus has uh, resurrected, and he is, the time is coming close for his ascension back into heaven. And he comes to the disciples and says to them, he says, All authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. This was the commission that Jesus gave to his disciples as he was ascending back into heaven. This is the commission that he has given to believers of all ages to go and make disciples, to go and preach the gospel, to go and teach, go and teach people what it, what it is like to follow Christ. And as a church, we share in that mission to go and preach the gospel and go and make disciples. And so I wanted to share this morning, and some, a lot of you have probably already heard this because I've talked about it uh, with our deacons. I've talked about this with our church council. Um, and so, but now this is, the, we're, we're, we're bringing this church wide and we're going to set forth what God has called us to do as a church, as a body of believers in this community. And I want you to uh, open up to that second page there, that five is where it says 5M mission strategy. And I want you to write this down above it, below it, wherever. Write this down. If our church closed its doors today, would our community miss it? And I'm not just talking about us. Obviously we would. But would our community as a whole miss it? That question should be the driving force of why we of why we do everything we do. It should be one of the driving forces. Would our community miss it? We serve God and we serve our community. And on the front of your bulletins, we have a mission statement. And the mission statement goes something like this. Watkins Chapel Baptist Church 
seeks to magnify God, bring people, bringing people in, bringing God's people into membership, building them up into maturity and equipping them for ministry and sending them out on mission. I want to propose something though. Well, as we're getting going here, I want to make a, a couple of clarifications. And so what I, what I'm proposing is on that next page, you see a current and you see a proposal there, a proposed, um, uh, missions, um, uh, pr- proposed a couple of adjustments to that because I want it to, I want uh, us to make clear what we do. Okay. To clarify some things. Walk in Chapel Baptist Church. I'm, I remove that word seek because I don't believe we need to seek to do it. We need to be people of action. Jesus didn't say go and seek to make disciples. He said go and make them. Go and do it. So we're moving. So I'm, I'm asking if we can remove that word seek. If we can just say walk in Chapel Baptist Church. We magnify God. How so? Through gospel proclamation. And I'll get to that more in just a little bit. Bringing people not just into membership, but into covenant membership. Building them up for ministry. Equip, excuse me, building them up to maturity, equipping them for ministry, and sending them out on mission. Now, it's my understanding that the church voted on that previous mission statement, and after talking with the deacons, I propose that, that uh, in a couple of weeks that we have that we hold a church vote once again to make adjustments to that to reflect this mission statement here. Okay, so uh, the, the the deacons will come in a little bit after service and kind of uh, and, and make an announcement regarding uh, that. But uh, either way, whichever way the, the mission statement goes, we have five things that we need to look at. Five things that we need to make sure that we're doing, no matter what what the wording is in a mission statement. Number one is magnify, magnify, magnify. God. And how do you magnify God? It's through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is how we magnify God. That is how we uplift the Lord, the, the, the name of the Lord. That's how we, that's how we give glory to God is by proclaiming the goodness of God's grace, the goodness of, the goodness of what Jesus Christ did. And so we need to be rooted in the gospel. Everything that we do needs to be rooted in the gospel. That's the commission that Jesus gave to his people. He told them in Matthew 18, Matthew, excuse me, Matthew 28, go and make disciples. He told them in Mark chapter 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. That's, that, that's what we do as a church. That's our mission to tell folks about Jesus. If our ministries, we can do all kinds of ministries all day long, but if we're not rooted, if they're not rooted in the gospel, those so-called ministries are just humanitarian works. There's nothing wrong with doing humanitarian works, but our call is to preach the gospel. So in everything we do, we preach the gospel. If the gospel is lost, we're nothing more than a social club. We have to be rooted in the gospel. And, And here's the reason why. Next page, the church is the only institution entrusted by God with the message of the gospel. There are three institutions that God created in scripture, marriage, government, and the church. And the church is the only institution that has been entrusted to deliver the message of the gospel to the world. It is the church's job. It is our job, Christian. Here's the question, and here's what's really Striking 
is that if I were to ask this, and if I were to give you a few minutes to write this down, and unfortunately I don't this morning, but I want, but I want to, ch- I, would, I would like to challenge you at some point. Um, if you were asked what is the gospel, could you give a sufficient biblical definition of what the gospel is? And it's got to be more than just saying good news. I, I let you cheat on that one. It's more than it, it, it is good news, but you can't stop there. Why is it good news? Do we? Can we answer that question? And uh, the, the sad truth is that a lot of Christians can't answer that question sufficiently. And what's even sadder is that there are a lot of pastors who can't answer that question sufficiently. And so it's not just folks in the pew. It's, it's the man behind the pulpit that needs to make sure he makes that absolutely clear. Uh, and, uh, several years ago in a conference, there was a survey taken specifically asking folks, what is the gospel? And uh, most of the people attending the conference, there was about a 60%, 60% of Christians could not articulate a sufficient understanding of the gospel. And uh, nearly 40% of the, of the pastors there could not ar- articulate a sufficient understanding of the gospel. Uh, that's why our churches are dying, folks. We have to be rooted in the gospel. So what is the gospel? Number one, God is holy. God is holy. We have to remember that first and foremost, that God is our holy creator. And holiness means he does not sin, he cannot sin, and he hates sin. The angels in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, God's holiness. They, the angels even had to, had to protect their own face from God's holiness and his glory. The angels in, 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 in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, they had six pairs of wings. They cut, With one pair of wings, they flew. With one pair of wings, they covered their face. And with the last pair of wings, they covered their feet. They covered their feet because the feet is a representation of just dirty nastiness. They covered their face because even the angels could not look upon the face of God in his holiness and his grace. God is holy. And that is the only place in the Bible Excuse me, that is the only attribute of God. It's not the only place in the Bible. It's the only attribute of God that's listed to the trifecta. Holy, holy, holy. No other attribute of God is listed to that. The Bible doesn't say God is love, love, love. God, God is mercy, mercy, mercy. God is just, just, just. Holy, holy, holy. God is holy. And the opposite to that, we were created to glorify God and we were created to enjoy him forever. That's the, this is the second one. But Adam sinned. Adam sinned and he disobeyed God's instruction. And the, the woman saw in Genesis 3 that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate and she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and make themselves loincloths. God gave them one task. You heard that meme, you had one job, okay? You had one job. Do not eat this fruit. And Adam did. Eve did first, but the, but the command was given to Adam before God ever created Eve. It was Adam's task to ensure that God's command was followed. It was Adam's task to be the leader of his wife, Eve. It is, and, and let me put a little bit of application there. Fellas, it is our task to be the spiritual leader in our homes. 
It is our task. It is the task of a dad to be the spiritual leader in our homes. This world is filled in, and churches are filled with a whole lot of Christian boys and not enough godly men. It is our task to be a godly man. Get a little fired up on that one. But they sinned. And in doing so, thirdly, he brought a curse upon all humanity. He caused all to fall under the condemnation of sin. Therefore, as Romans 5.12 says, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because we've all sinned. It brought a curse. Sin brought a curse. It brought the curse of death. It brought, it brought the curse of decay. It brought the curse of sickness. It brought the curse of, uh, of, of sin, uh, of just nastiness. And because of that curse, because of our sin, we deserve death. We deserve it. And, that is, and, and death is God's just, eternal wrath in hell. No one is in hell because they don't deserve to be there. And likewise, no one is in heaven because they deserve to be there. For the wages of sin is death. We've got to understand this when it comes to the gospel. God's holiness, our sin has separated us from him and caused us to become under, come under a curse. Here's the good news part of it. It's not really truly good news unless you understand the bad news. And when we understand the bad news, the good news gets even gooder, right? Gooder and gooder and gooder. You teachers love that, right? I ain't getting that master's degree for nothing. But God sent his son, Jesus. God sent his son, Jesus. Amen. God sent his son. When the fullness of time had come, Galatians 4, God sent forth his son. Born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. God sent his son, Jesus. Though we deserved none of it, though Jesus didn't have to come at all, God, uh, the only way for man to be redeemed was for the man's sin to be atoned for. And that was Jesus. Jesus lived the perfect, sinless life that we could not possibly do. We could not possibly live a perfect, sinless life. We could try really, really hard, but one sin messes up the entire batch. I've used the, the, uh, the illustration of the apple before. That apple could look incredible, but if it had warm, one little wormhole, one little minuscule wormhole, it ruins the entire apple for me. I don't know about you. You might eat around it, but I'm not going to. I'm not, I'm, uh, I, I don't think anyone in their right mind is going to try to uh, eat, eat around the wormhole. That one little bitty worm, it's minuscule. It's a tiny little wormhole. I ain't eating that thing. The whole, the whole apple is ruined, right? We could live a perfect life except for that one sin. and It's all ruined. It's all done. But Jesus didn't. He lived the perfect sinless life that we could not. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with any of our weaknesses, as Hebrews 4.15 says. Uh, in one, but, who, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, but yet he is without sin. 
The Bible also says that he who knew no sin, he never sinned. He lived the perfect, sinless life. Can you imagine? Jesus had some younger brothers, by the way. Can you imagine having an older brother who was literally perfect? Some of y'all who are the uh, the younger sibling um, you probably think, yeah, my, my older sibling, my older sister, my older brother, yeah, they're just perfect. They're just perfect. They never do anything wrong. Well, Jesus was that sibling. And his, his uh, younger brothers were very extremely jealous of him. Um, and, uh, but uh, thank goodness that uh, the ones that we know of, um, they came to know the Lord later, but they were not fans of Jesus growing up. They were not fans of their older brother, of their older half-brother. He lived a perfect, sinless life. And he went even further to do that. He suffered. He suffered punishment. He suffered death. He suffered all of that. And none of it he deserved. None of it he deserved. The only just, the, the only un, me, the only unjust murder, the only unjust killing that has ever happened was when Jesus was killed. The only true, excuse me, let me rephrase it this way. The only truly innocent person to have ever been killed is Jesus. Romans 5, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing truth that that is. What an amazing truth that that is. That we are sinners, but God sent his son. Second Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his son to take upon himself our sin, so that we could take upon a, so that we could take upon ourselves the righteousness of Jesus. And so as in presenting the gospel, we tell folks, God is holy. He's holy and he cannot be, and he cannot stand. He despises sin and we're sinners, but God provided a way out of that curse in Jesus. And if we desire Christ's righteousness credited to us, because that's what happens at salvation. It's his righteousness that's credited to us. It's not our own. If we desire his righteousness credited to us and our sin accounted to him, then we must repent and believe in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Jesus came, one of the, one of the very first messages that he preached, we see in Mark chapter 1. After John the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God saying the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe the gospel. It's going further than just telling folks to ask Jesus into your heart. It's going further than that. It's saying your sin is offensive to God and, and, you, and uh, you better stop it. Turn away from it. Hate the sin that we once loved and turn to the God that you once hate, hated. And be found in him. Not having a righteousness of, of, of our own, 
that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in, in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is a righteousness that, that, that as I said earlier, that we, the righteousness that we have because we're Christians, it's because it came from Christ. It's not our own. And then Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than Jesus. And I'm just giving a simple overlay of the gospel. No other name other than Jesus Christ. This is the message, church, that we have to, we have to preach. This is the message, church, that we have to present. This is the message, church, that we have to proclaim that Jesus is Lord, that our sin is offensive, and that we need to repent and believe in Jesus. So how do we do that? How? A few ways. Our sermons. Every one of my sermons needs to be saturated with the gospel. If I'm not preaching the gospel, I'm not preaching for you. I'm just simply giving you a Bible history lesson. Our sermons, our lessons always remind people of the gospel. Any one of our ministry gatherings, any one of our events should be focused on the gospel. Any one of our multimedia outlets, we remind people of the gospel in all the messages that we present. And intentional evangelism through the mail, sending folks letters, sending, making phone calls, making in-person visits. And this isn't just me doing all of this. This is us as a church collectively doing this, telling folks about who Jesus is. And evangelism, you're very intentional about it because you got to go to lost folks who don't go to church. That's who you evangelize. But then we also have to reach out to those whose attendance has dropped off. And let's face it, every church around here, including us, have people who have dropped off. And they need to hear They need to hear about Jesus. The gospel is applicable to all of life, not just to get saved. Not just to get saved. And so we magnify God through gospel proclamation and we bring folks into membership. That's the second one. Membership. (coughs) Getting the concept of church membership right is vital. It's vital to the health of the church. It's vital to who we are as a church. We have to get this right. We have to. We have to get the gospel right. And we have to understand and, and get membership right according to what the Bible teaches about it. The average Southern Baptist church in 2011, and this was 10 years ago, and the numbers really haven't, the percentage-wise per capita really hasn't changed too much. It's probably gone down. But the average Southern Baptist church has 176 members, but only 69 of them are regular attendees. Where are the others? Where are the others? Here's why that's so important. Because church membership on the next screen is a declaration of citizenship in Christ's kingdom. Jonathan Lehman said that he's a, he's a great guy on, on, in, in, uh, on discussing uh, church practice and church membership. To say you're a member of a local church is, to, is a declaration of citizenship in Christ's kingdom. It's a heaven. It's 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 a heavenly role. Even though it's a role that we keep, it's a heavenly role. It's a role that we use to acknowledge and to affirm that someone is saved. So, what is church membership according to the Bible? What is it? How does the Bible teach you? Abby, are you okay, little girl? 
You want your mommy? Okay, well, she's in the nursery. She's in the nursery. You want to go ahead and go to her? Okay. There are a lot of churches who would do, who would do anything just to see what just happened right there. There are a lot of churches that don't have any children at all. And they would do just about anything to see a child or hear, to hear a child's voice, even though the child was upset. Um, so, hey, Jackson, Jackson, you're going to be all right, buddy, okay? All right, let Daddy keep on going, okay? All right, so church membership, what is it? Church membership is a formal declar- is a formal relationship between a local church and a Christian. It's characterized by the church's affirmation and oversight of a Christian's discipleship. And the, and the Christian submission to living out their discipleship in the care of the church. It's, it is the church's external public affirmation that the member is continuing, watch this, continuing to give evidence of genuine Christian conversion. That's important. To some, for someone to say, I am a member of the church, and the, for the church to affirm their membership, we are giving a, a, we, we are giving a, a declaration, we are giving an affirmation that they are a Christian and that they are continuing to give evidence of their Christianity. That's why a lot of church roles are really, really messed up because we, there are people on church roles that are not fulfilling what the definition, the definition of a church member is. And there are a lot of churches that are affirming church members that do not fit this description. A local church body affirms. We affirm an individual's profession of faith and baptism as credible meaning that they're giving evidence. And then secondly, what a lot of, lot of church, what a lot of churches fail on and what we have to make sure that we do in a, in a Christ honoring way is to give oversight to the, to that person's discipleship to help them grow in the Lord. When someone wants to become a member, it isn't just putting your name down on a roll. It's a commitment to grow with one another. It's a commitment as a church to say, yes, we want him to come. We want them to come be a part of us so that we can help them grow in their walk with God. And we in churches uh, by and large have failed at that. It's someone who comes to the church and says, yes, I want to grow with them. And, 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 and on that person's part, we have failed largely at that. It's more than just putting your name down on a piece of paper and getting a, a free plot in a graveyard. It's so much more than that. So what's a church member? It's a local, it's a living, it's a loving person who professes and gives evidence that they've been saved. That they followed Christ in believers' baptism by immersion. That they've covenantally committed to Christ through prayer and obedience to the scriptures and to fellow members of their local church through intentional communal relationships. That's church membership. It's so much more than a name on a piece of paper. It's a formal declaration that you've been adopted into the family of God and that you want to be a part of that family. There are a lot of people who say, I want to be a part of the family of God, but when the family has the reunion every Sunday morning, they're never to be seen. So, secondly to that, what's a, what's a local church? We've got to answer that question too. 
It's a local living. Am I going too fast? Am I going to? If I'm going too fast, I'll slow down. I just want to make sure I'm, I, I don't keep y'all till till eleven thirty. These first two, magnify God in membership. They're really long. They're, they're they're a lot longer than the last three. I promise. And so once we get through this, it'll be it'll be much smoother sailing. Do I need to go back? Okay. A local church. It's a local. It's a living. It's a loving connection of people. You see that throughout the book of Acts that they, uh, that they loved on one another, that they connected with one another, that it was a community. It was a community of people who profess and give evidence. And then, and they're intentional. We're intentional about being together. And not just intentional about Sunday morning at 10 o'clock. It's intentional gathering together because you desire to, because you want to. Churches and God's people should desire to gather together. No one is saved by attending or becoming a member of a local church. I'll say it this way. I heard it from a a Christian speaker. He said, uh, Baptist is just the name above the door. It didn't get you what you got, and it sure isn't going to get you where you're going. Just putting our names on a piece of paper, that's not what church membership is. I've given some scripture on the next slide. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'm going to allow you to, I'm going to get, I gave them for you. It's, it's, it's our affirmation that a member is continuing to give evidence. And here's why it matters. It matters because, because it's a public witness to believers. It's a public witness to believers that if someone were to say, I am a member of Watkins Chapel Baptist Church, that if we were to affirm that person's membership, we're affirming that that person is a, is, is someone who is, who is, uh, who is uh, committed to the church and giving uh, and giving continuing evidence. There are a lot of folks who, who we would affirm as a member of the church who are not giving evidence. And I'm not saying that we kick them off the roll. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is that we as a church need to be reaching out to these folks and loving on them and, 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 and reaching out and helping them grow. It matters, secondly, as a public witness to non-believers. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are some churches with some mean folks on the membership roll. And if we as a church affirm someone's membership on a membership roll, and this this person is one of the meanest people in the community, what does that say about a church to the non-believers? It destroys your testimony to the community. It destroys it. This is important stuff. On both sides, it matters as a public witness to believers and and non-believers. So it doesn't just, we don't just stop with magnifying God and bringing folks into membership. If we stop there, um, we wouldn't need the rest of this. But members have to be, thirdly, building, built up to maturity. This is discipleship. This is where the church, this is where the, this is where the rubber hits hits the road in, in, in doing church. This is intentionally training up disciples of Jesus Christ. As Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, he didn't say go and make converts. He didn't say go and make church members. He said go and make disciples. 
Discipleship is a whole lot more than just attending church on a Sunday morning. You can't, you, 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 it's not less than that, but it's a whole lot more than that. Your discipleship happens, your discipleship happens on a deep, personal level and it happens with one another in bible study and in gospel community sunday school helps tremendously with uh, with discipleship because you gather together it's open group anyone can come to your sunday school and listen to god's word and 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 share uh, with each other but secondly things that are things that i want to start doing and i've already started i've already started one uh, myself to set the example and we meet every and we meet every week is a D group, a discipleship group. And this is not an open group. This is a closed group where someone who is who has decided that they want to take on two to three young growing Christians of the same gender, by the way, that's very important, of the same gender, because you're meeting in a closed space, um, of the same gender, you're mentoring them and you're helping them grow to be a godly man or a godly woman. These closed groups provide community and they provide accountability. Things that Sunday schools have a literal uh, don't have as easy of a time doing because you may have a visitor who's a non-believer. But D groups are believers only and they're closed groups. So you may say, "Hey, I want to be a part of a D group. I want to have my own D group." Awesome. Let's get one. Let's get one started for you. Okay, let's get one started. Let's get one going for you. Jackson, come on, buddy. Turn around for me. Okay? And it's more than that. It's prayer. It's scripture study. It's memorization. And the, the guys will tell you. It's uh, The guys will tell you that uh, I ask them every single time we meet. What did you read about in the Bible? How's that, how's that affected you? What about Bible? What about scripture memory? Scripture memory is not easy. It's not. But we, but we, but we build one another up. And it holds me accountable because it's part, it's me doing it too. So building them up to maturity, having those discipleship groups. And I'll talk a little bit more about how we, how we're going to get those rolling in just a minute. And then equipping them for ministry, equipping them for ministry. The Bible says, the Bible says that God gave apostles. He gave prophets. He gave evangelists. He gave shepherds and teachers or pastors and teachers. Some of your Bibles may say to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to equip them for building them up in the body of Christ. Church leaders, we should be preparing and equipping the next generation of ministry leaders. Understand this, that if our church continued at the same rate we're doing right now, in 50, what would happen in 15 years? What would our church look like in 15 years if we did not make leaders? If we did not produce leaders? We're not, we, we can't just be settled in producing converts. That's not how churches continue to grow and build. You have to produce disciples who are who step into leadership. Peter, James, and John were the, were the particular ones who spent time with Jesus. Jesus spent time with the 12, but Peter, James, and John were the, were, were, were the, were the ones in particular. And those were the ones in particular that Jesus was spent three years preparing because when Jesus ascended, who had to take it over? Who had to step into the leadership position? Peter, James, and John, and eventually Paul, who spent three years with Jesus before he ever started doing his missionary work. We have to prepare folks. And so that means deacons, Sunday school teachers, D group leaders, worship leaders, whoever that may be, we are always working to train up whoever would be our replacement. Leader, if something happened to you right now, do you have someone that you've trained to take your spot tomorrow if someone ha something happened to you right now? That's what discipleship is. 
Jesus was the spiritual leader for the disciples and he was training them up because he says, I'm going to go soon. He said that in John 14, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm, and I'm going to be leaving you. The great thing is we don't do this alone. He said, I'm going to send you a helper. I want to send to you the Holy Spirit who helps in guiding, who helps in this. We don't do this alone, but we have to be doing this. We have to be, have to be. And and nextly is something that I want to do. And I think this church has done it before is, is internships, training young ministry prospects to a lifetime of vocational gospel ministry. And this falls particularly on me, but this, but this also is church wide because if, if the church does not support me in this, it's going to be really hard for me to do it. There are a lot of young men at Southeastern. There are a lot of there are young ladies at Southeastern who need uh, who need experience. And the young men I'll be training, but we need but we need our ladies to be willing to step in and and help the young ladies who are who are doing this thing, who are preparing for our lifetime of ministry. We've uh, come to the notion, and seminaries are wonderful. Seminaries are incredible. But we come to this mindset that it's just the seminary that does the training. When the training is under the authority of the local church. The training for missionaries, the training for pastors, it's, that's, that's the, under the authority of the local church. And a lot of times we want to hand that off to seminaries and other parachurch groups. Y'all prepare them, y'all prepare them, y'all prepare them. And then we completely lose what God has called us to do. We're called to train up the next leaders. We're called to. So we equip folks for ministry. And then lastly, sending them out on mission. Sending them out on mission. Well, we're commissioning ambassadors for Christ into the world for continued gospel ministry. And that's local mission efforts. There are tons of things. There are tons of, tons of needs right in our own community that we can meet. And I can't, I, and, 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 and as much as I want to, it's impossible for me to identify them all. And so that's why God's called us as a, as a church family to, to identify those needs. And if you see a need that the community may, that the, the, in the community that I may not have seen and you bring it to me, my responsibility isn't to take that on for myself. My responsibility is to equip you so that you can do it. There are a whole lot of needs out there. A whole lot of needs. You could serve at the pregnancy center. You could serve at the school. You could serve um, anywhere. There's also short-term mission trips. Preparing and supporting foster family ministry. Catherine and I are looking very soon to begin fostering, foster parenting. There are only, uh, out of the many foster families in this county, there are only two that are confirmed by the Southern Baptists to be Christian foster families. There's a big need there. There are a whole lot more foster children than there are foster families. And I'm not saying you have to become a foster family yourself. I'm saying as a church, let's, let's, let's rally it behind those who are Christian foster families because there are going to be more coming in the coming weeks and months. There are going to be more coming. Let's rally as a church to, to, to step behind them and to give them what they may need. And then preparing and sending long-term missionaries. And eventually, maybe God will bless us to have the opportunity to plant a church somewhere or to work with a church to plant a church somewhere. Realize that Johnston County is is the the fastest growing county in North Carolina. And the Raleigh area that we're in is the second fastest growing area in the United States right now. And as people come in, there are going to need to be more local gathering places. 
it's hard to it's hard to believe and it's hard to realize that with as many churches on as many corners as we have, um, if everyone went to if everyone went to church, the churches would have to be able to hold about five thousand people. We don't have those facilities. We don't. It'd be nice. To, it'd be nice though, wouldn't it? It'd be nice to have five thousand people. It'd be nice that as we could say we've we've been able to reach that many. Maybe who knows. But at this moment, we don't have the facility. At this moment, we don't. But several miles down the road, there might be a small building where someone who can, someone who's been training up to be to, to preach, can preach on Sundays to a local community right there. That's what church planning is. You don't have to build nice buildings. It's, it's having a specific place where you gather and break the bread of God's word. So. I want to talk about strategy just for a minute. But I want to mention these four things. We've got to realize that sound doctrine drives a sound strategy. Sound doctrine drives a sound strategy. You can't build any ministry on, on, a, on a non-existent foundation. Doctrine is the foundation upon which we, we, we build any ministry. And secondly, to that, God's strategy directs ours. What was God's strategy in the Bible? There are a whole lot. If you look, if you go online, you can type in strategies for growing your church and you will find a plethora of ideas and all of these things to grow your church. And the, whereas the best idea is 2000 years old, go and make disciples. Go and teach them what I taught, what I taught you. It's worked for 2000 years. Friends, a lot of the ministries, the niche ministries that we've that we've built in the last 75 years, the success rates of most of them have been abysmal. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be doing them. I'm saying that we need to look at what has what has what they were doing and see why they have been failing. It wasn't until the 20th century that 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 we that we that churches ever come up with a youth or children's ministry. And I love those ministries. Don't 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 take get me wrong for a second. I love those ministries. But churches, even with the most flourishing of youth ministries, once the youth gets out of youth ministry, they may have been attending every week with their mom and dad. Once they get out of youth ministry and go to college, 75% of them fall away. And that's the church with the full-time youth pastor, the big fancy youth ministry. 75% of them fall away. So we got to figure out what is not working because that's, uh, any any sort of any of you who ever run a business, whoever whoever lead a business with a twenty five percent success with twenty five percent success rate, something's got to change. Twenty five percent success rate on ministry, something's got to change. I'm not saying we stop doing it. I'm saying we we look and see what God has called us to do, and it's simply make disciples. And understand this thoroughly: we are enabled and informed by the gospel alone. We preach Christ and him crucified. That is our message. That is our message. If we are reading the Bible and we're coming up with and we're and we're coming up with 10 ways to be financially stable, we've missed the point of the passage. The Bible tells us that we need to be good stewards with our finances, but for what reason? And that it is for glorifying God and spreading the gospel. If we miss that part and just talk about finances, we've missed the point of the scripture. And realize this lastly, that success is not determined by results. It's not determined by results. It's determined by our faithfulness to serve the Lord. 
we may go the next three to four years. And, and I wouldn't, I, I, fleshly, I don't want to see it. I don't want to see that. But we may go the next three to four years and never have a single baptism. But that doesn't mean we're failures. What, what, would be, what, would, what would mean that we're failures is if the reason for no baptisms is because we're not ever preaching the gospel. That would be a failure. That would be an utter failure. But I don't anticipate. I don't want to, I don't anticipate us not having an impact in this community. I don't. Because I, because I believe we can, and, I, and I, it doesn't have to be this massive ordeal or strategy. We just simply hone in on what we know we're supposed to do. We make sure that we are doing what God has called us to do. Okay, so here's a vision or first steps, uh, whichever you rather call it. Um, with, our, with, with new prospective members, those who have been visiting, I want to be able to meet with them to, in order to be able to ensure that we're following the biblical guidelines for Church membership. I want to be able to meet with the folks who are visiting. It doesn't have to be this long, drawn-out process where it takes six months to join. I want to meet with them. They say, Billy, we're interested in joining the church. Awesome. Let me meet with you. Let me let me talk with you. What do you believe about the gospel? What do you believe about this? And then we just have a discussion. Here's where our church is. Where, where you are. Are we a good fit? They say, I want to, we want to meet with you. And once we meet and, and after prayer and, and decide that this is going to be a good fit, then we bring them before the church. It's not a six months long process. And then nextly, intentional evangelism out and outreach. Uh, and I'll talk more on the grow teams, but grow teams, they're teams that meet weekly. And with the simple intention of, 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 uh, of, of reaching out to current members who haven't been coming, to reaching out to lost people who need to hear the gospel. And then there's D groups. And then very shortly in the coming weeks, I'll have a disciples makers workshop. If you say, I want to have, I want to be a leader of one of these D groups. I want to, I want to train others. I want to be a mentor to others. I want to have a workshop for you here in a few weeks. Uh, actually, um, in, in the early weeks of May, we've got a lot going on in the next few weeks, early weeks of May. And then the, uh, uh, first impressions, uh, what we do when visitors come. Ministry internship. And then I would like to see us if we could bring on, even if it's volunteer, bringing on someone who's pastoral support. Someone who we can have within who can, who can fill the pulpit. That would be incredible. I, had, I was able to train up a couple of guys at my last church, and I never had to make a phone call outside of the church when, if I had to be gone for, to do something. The person was a member of the church, and they, and they, and they preached and filled the pulpit from right there within. We can do that. I can do that. I mean, and, but uh, it takes prayer and commitment. And then lastly, you may have saw it on Facebook, but homeschool chapel. Homeschool chapel where we, there's a growing community of homeschool families. And uh, there is nothing like this in this area where they have an opportunity to come and to uh, worship together as children and have community together as parents and do certain tracks together and learn life skills like sewing or cooking or, uh, or, or, or team building or problem solving. Um, learning those skills together. And I'm, I'm kind of developing that, and I'll announce a meeting here soon for anyone who's interested in that. Um, and that'll be in the mornings during the week. And so... Um, uh, that'll be uh, something good that uh, homeschoolers will be able to get. And we also need to make sure we, we support our public schools because that's, that, that's, that's a huge ministry area. That is a, our public schools are a spiritual war zone. 
There are spiritual wars on where you're being tugged every which direction. So we support that. And then going down the road, that was the first, that was uh, three to nine months, nine to 18. We do a short-term mission trip this year. Um, I would like to see in the next couple of years an international mission trip or at least working towards that. Um, Also, we make sure we're safe here at the church. We make sure we show that the community, that their children are valued and that they are safe, that that when visitors come, that they are valued and that we appreciate them coming. So the visitor and child check-in and in the foster family care. And then lastly, this is long term. This is something that I've, uh, this is just something on my mind that I would, that, 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 uh, uh, just want to present something early. I'm not saying we do anything about it right now, but we'd be in prayer about it is that we become a hub for training missionaries right here with the Great Commission Ministry Center. That we train missionaries, that we train young pastors. Seminaries are good and seminaries have their place, but it is the local church's responsibility. And I want to take that on. Again, that's, I want you to be in prayer about that. I don't, we don't need to be looking at that right now, but be in prayer about that. But here I do have some goals for this year. I do have some goals for this year. And I think we can do it because, and I don't think it's unreasonable to do it because we almost reached some of these last, uh, almost reached that first one last year. That sounds like a ton of money, $10,000 for missions. Eddie, how much did we take up last year? It was over eight. It was over eight. We took up last year for missions. And you have your first opportunity to do that next year. Excuse me, you have your first opportunity to, to raise money for missions next week. Next week, we have a representative coming from the Chosen People Ministries. It is a ministry specifically designed to take the gospel to the Jewish people, to take the gospel to, 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 Jew, to Jews. And so they're going to come next week and they're going to present the Passover meal, the full Passover meal in light of what it means at looking towards Christ. And so you're going to have an opportunity next week to give to give to that ministry in missions. And then in April, we have the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. So we're going to have an opportunity to give for that. And so it's going to, so I'm asking for a little extra to be able to give. But for most of us, if we were able to just cut out one restaurant visit with our family so we can give to a mission, that would, that would almost achieve it right there. It's expensive to go to a restaurant. And then nextly, 1,000 personal gospel connections. And that sounds like a very big number, but it's March now. There are 10 months, including March, left in the year. If all of us, which there's about, all of us in the church, which are about 50, if you shared the gospel with two people per month, we'd have the 1,000 by the end of the year. It's not hard. And you don't, and, and, and in person is, the, is, the, is, is probably the most preferred way, but we have social media. And I'm not talking about make a post about the gospel and you get 52 likes and you count those as 52. No, that doesn't count. In-person gospel connections where you have the personal conversation with someone, where you personally talk to them about who Jesus is and why it's important to even know him. Some of y'all have 400 by the end of the year by yourself. That doesn't, but, and, uh, but if we present the gospel that much, I don't think it's unreasonable that we could see 25 people baptized by the end of the year. And hopefully most of them would become new members. And hopefully most of them would uh, would become a part of a D group and it would be healthy and growing. But if we want revival in our church, it starts at home. 
I didn't mention youth ministry, by the way, youth and children's ministry. I mentioned those, uh, they weren't in my slides, and I apologize. Our youth, our children's ministry has, uh, Amber was, was leading and coordinating, and that children's ministry has grown to a children's ministry team. And now Amber has folks working with her, uh, ladies working with her, who are doing some incredible things. They're organizing the Spring Bash this weekend. They're going to be organizing Vacation Bible School. They're doing some, they're going to be doing some incredible things. And then I just learned over the past week, and I learned even more this morning, that uh, our youth ministry is getting started back on March 30th. Wednesday night, March 30th, will be our first back to uh, coming back to youth ministry. And so they're going to, and so uh, Todd and uh, Teresa have gotten together and they're bringing that back. So youth on March 30th is coming back. And I'm excited about that. They're going to feed them and then uh, they need some, they need some help. And specifically, they're asking for the young adults to help them in reaching out to, to, to teens and, and to the, the youth of our community. And I'm excited about that because I had it in my mind here. And then they come up with me. Go, we already got this started. Hey, go for it. Go for it. I love it when a plan comes together. I love it when it comes together. But if we want to see revival, it doesn't start with the children's ministry at church as good as it is. It doesn't start with the, the youth ministry at the church as good as those, as good as those are. It doesn't start with, with Sunday schools. It doesn't start with that. It starts in the home. If you want revival, you gotta have a revival at your house first. If you want revival in the church, you got to have revival in your house. And that means family worship time together where you're intentionally gathering together as whether it's just a husband and wife, you're gathering together your kids with you and opening the scriptures and having a worship time together. And as I said earlier, dads, that's on you. And if there's not a dad in the family, mom, then it's on you. Okay. And here's what it looks like. It's super simple. It's very easy. You open up to scripture. You open up to a passage of scripture, maybe one that's been laid, laid on your heart, and you tell your family three or four things that you've garnered, that, that you gathered out of the scripture, and how do they, what difference do they make in their life? And so you have your kids there with them, and your kids may be so young that they may not true, they may not fully understand all the words that you're saying just yet. But you have them there, and they're listening, and they're hearing the Bible being read, and they're hearing their dad tell them about what Jesus says. That is so important. And they're hearing the mom tell them about what Jesus says. And then you pray together. So you open up the Bible. You share a few things. You don't have to preach a sermon. You share a few things that you got from it. And then you, and, and then you pray together. And then lastly, you sing together. The Bible calls us to sing together, to worship together. Well, I don't sing. Well, that's not an excuse. And uh, there are times when uh, kids don't want to sing. Here's what we've done. And then I'm going to uh, want to wrap it up. Here's what we've done. Every evening, uh, our family worship time is after supper is prepared, but before we get to eat. So supper's ready and it smells good. But we sit together and we open up God's word. Supper will, be, supper will stay hot. I'll leave the heat on a little bit. Supper so will stay hot while we open up scripture together. We, and we read God's word and we take our time. We're not rushing it. We take our time. And we read God's word. And we've been going through the reading plan, just reading a small portion out of the reading plan. You kids can't sit there for reading all two of those chapters. Find the passage in there that, that uh, really speaks out and give them a few things out of that. And then you pray together according to what, uh, what you read. And then you sing together. And then you may be like, my kids don't like to sing. I've made this wonderful deal 
Um, and and, and uh, it's really not a deal. It's more of a prerogative for my kids. No, uh, no singing, no supper. No singing, no supper. They'll sing. They'll sing. Here's the reason that our children probably don't want to sing. They're sinners. They don't want to worship God. They got to be saved. And how are they be saved? By hearing the gospel. For how beautiful the feet are those who preach the good news. You don't know about doing a D group. Make your first D group the one at your house. And show them how they're in, and, uh, and grow together in that. Uh, when we first started that, my kids weren't the most excited about it. Even I at times were like, man, there's so many, there's so many other things I could be doing. And uh, come to realize that this could be the difference for most of our kids between heaven and hell. The preacher is not going to have to answer for me if my kids weren't ever taught the Bible. The youth pastor and the youth leaders aren't going to have to answer for that. They're going to have to answer if they preach the Bible. But mom, dad, we're the ones who's going to be having to uh, answer whether or not our kids heard the Bible. It's on us. It's on us. That 25% of kids or teenagers that stayed in church, um, about 90% of them came from homes that didn't just go to church, they taught it in the home. Now, I don't want to discourage you because some of you may, may have been like Billy and taught the scripture at home and we took them to church. We did everything that we knew to do and they still walked away. Understand that their decision is on them. They're adults. You did everything you could, and I don't want to discourage you. You did everything you could, and so now your job is to pray for them, to spend time on your knees and to pray for them because you knew you did everything you could, and you knew that you did everything that God had called you to do, and yet they still decided to walk away. Pray for them and keep on living out the gospel and pray that God does something incredible. God is calling for us dads to be godly men. Stop being Christian boys. And ladies, vice versa. God is calling for godly women, not little Christian girls. There's a big difference there. And I believe if we can become and strive to be godly men and women, then we'll make a massive impact in this community. No matter or not if we ever become a mega church. I'm not worried about that. I'm just worried about being a church that's on mission for God. <laughs>